Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Romans chapter 1. You probably could have guessed that. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Wednesday night, we talked more about Jesus being of the seed of David according to the flesh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. We're going to add verse 4, so let's read verses 3 and 4 together again. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So we're going we're gonna to piece a few things together. We're going to look at these two verses. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of odd, but it's true of Jesus Christ. And after you get saved, in, so, to, in some respects, it becomes true of you also. But these two passages are contradictory when it comes to most people. Now, I'm not telling you there's a contradiction in the Bible. I'm telling you that these are two opposing ideas, both of which are true about one person. <laughs> Jesus Christ, who came after the seed of David according to the flesh. Oh, so he's a man. Yes. But then he was declared to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Wait, so wait, is he God? Yes. Well, which one is it? Yes. <laughs> He's both. Well, how can it be both? That's what everybody wants to know. How can it be both? The same way you can be a father and a son. It, it's, it's, it's all true of you. It's true of him. All right. So now once we get saved, the Holy Spirit moves inside of us and we have this new man inside of us, which is directly contradictory to the old man who is still inside of us. And, and there's a battle for the two to have control, and the question ultimately becomes, which one are you going to give control to? Yeah. 
Are you going to go the direction of the new man? Are you going to are you going to uh, uh, give the new man what it needs? The Bible says, "Make no provision for the flesh." All right now, you know, brother Nathan and Miss Holly raise pigs. If they want those pigs to grow, they got to make provision for them. And comparatively, I have children. Are you a pig? Well, your brother is. <laughs> that boy eats nonstop. But in order for them to grow, I have to make provision for them. Right Now, it's the, the same is true about these two individuals battling for control inside you. You're going to make provision for one of them. And you need to starve out the other. The question is, which one do you want to provide for? Do you want the old man? Do you want the direction the old man's going to take you? It's going to be contrary to God. It's going to be contrary to the word of God. It's going to take you right back to what Jesus Christ saved you from. Or you can feed that new man and walk in the spirit and be under the control of the Holy Spirit and and in fellowship with God. The, The choice is yours. A lot of people struggle with that idea. They like to think that now that I'm saved... There is no old man. It's, it's over. It's gone. Well, then why do we have this thick Bible full of instruction to Christians <laughs> about how to live and stop sinning? All right. The reason we have all this is because you're going to struggle to get it right. And it's going to take you some time to get it right. And you have to learn what God says is right. You don't want to just assume that you know. You want to ask. So, I mean, how do I be a good husband? Well, I think a good husband. Nobody cares what you think. What does God say a good husband is? What does God say a good father is? What does God say a good wife is? That, that, it doesn't matter what you think that is. It doesn't matter what YouTube says it is. It's a whole thing now on YouTube where, you know, women become famous on YouTube for being modest. <laughs> that, like that's a differentiator. But for, you know, they, 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 their whole thing is we do, we do modest things. So, well, I mean, praise the Lord. I'm glad it exists. But... How did it become so unique that it makes you famous on YouTube? (laughs) There's a whole slew of women now who just want to show the world that they're a housewife. And and they they think that's a wonderful thing. I do too. It's great. But that, I mean, that's what America used to be. (laughs) That's what women used to do. And we're not talking about, you know, some form of bondage. It's just if you have a, a husband, a wife, and children... Someone needs to be there to take care of those children, and someone needs to provide for the home. And the way God arranged things is the man is supposed to be out breaking his back, providing for the home, while the woman is home taking care of the home. And people say, well, that's just, you're a bigot. I'm not a bigot. You're calling God a bigot. That's the way he ordered things. All right, now, no one is saying that you... Your wife can't have a job or any, any of that garbage. No one is saying that. If you read about the virtuous woman, that was a hard-working, industrious woman in Proverbs 30, 31. Now, she, she, she worked out of the home and in the home, but never failed to take care of the home. Her children woke up in the morning. She was there. When they, when they needed her in the evening, she was there. That home was taken care of. That woman didn't fail in her duties to take care of that home. Now, if you're going to add a career in the mix, you're just going to add some complexities to your life that that you may or may not want. If you have children, I don't understand how you can do that. It's very difficult. Is it possible? Maybe. Where are you going to send your children for 8 to 10 hours a day? I'll send them to the public schools. Yeah, that's working out great. Yeah. How's that going? Your child will come home 
the opposite gender than what they were biologically given. And, and the, the, the guidance counselor at school will help them make that transition and won't tell you a word about it and be within their federal right to do so. Right. So you, you can take that chance if you want. You know, lots of Christians like to say, well, the reason the schools are the way they are is because we took our children out of the schools. No, it's not. <laughs> and what is your child going to do to change the school? Right? So it's up to you to protect your child. It's not up to your child to go and change the school. And so at some point, the, the, the husband's career and the wife's career are going to tear the house in two different directions, and decisions are going to have to be made. And, 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 you know, and that's for every man and, and wife and every husband and wife to make those decisions. I'm not telling you what to and what not to do. What I'm telling you is that we, we live in, we're, we are different people living in a different world. And indeed, inside your own body is a battle to go in two different directions. Right. And you're going to have to figure out what those directions are, where those boundaries are, how you're going to set, establish those things, how you're going to do those things and, and, and do it all while pleasing God. And so we have these contradict what what appear to be contradictory ideas. They're they're at least opposing ideas, but both are absolutely true about the one true and living God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It, it's it's absolutely correct, and it's just difficult for people to reconcile. Is Jesus man or is he God? He's both. Right. Well, how? I don't know. <laughs> Just, you, want, you want God to sit down and explain to you how he took God and man and made them one creature in Jesus Christ? That explanation's not there. He just did it. And he has no responsibility to explain to you how he did it or, or what the technical details are. How, how, how can a woman be a virgin and give birth to a baby? God said, this is going to happen, and it happened. <laughs> Yeah, but how did he make I don't know. I can't sit and tell you in detail, in technical detail. I'll tell you what. We'll we'll do a trade-off. When you can tell me how electricity works, then I'll tell you how God did what he did in in Mary's womb. And nobody knows how electricity works. They just know it works. And they use it. Now, you'll use not understanding as an excuse not to trust God, but you'll keep using electricity. You tell me how the combustion engine works. And if you can't understand it, then you stop using it. Right? Now, they're not going to do that. Like, that means I'd have to walk. Yeah. <laughs> that might help you. And so no, it, 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 it's not, it, it does, in, in no other area of life does it stop you from doing what you want to do. Only when it comes to God and when it comes to Jesus Christ do you begin to say, well, I don't understand it, so I'm not going to believe it. Well, if you would believe it, God might help you to gain some understanding. Right. He's not going to give you understanding and then in the hopes that you'll, you'll exchange that for belief. It doesn't work that way. You need to trust God. He's trustworthy. And then over time, God will help build your understanding. And, and that's the way those things are going to have to work. Now, all the, the, these, these two opposing ideas um, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So you have two things there. Made of the seed of David. All right. That's. A, a, that's his lineage as a man, according to the flesh, right? That's, that's further demonstrating to you that it's talking about when he came into this world, right? But then look at the next verse, verse four, and declared to be the son of God with power, right? So in one verse, he's of the seed of David. In this verse, he's declared to be the son of God, according to the spirit of holiness. So you have the son of God set opposed to the seed of David, 
And you have according to the flesh opposed to according to the spirit of holiness. Two opposing, four opposing statements, all true of Jesus Christ, one man, one person. 100% true, what, what, absolutely true, just I can't tell you how. <laughs> all I can do is demonstrate to you from the Word of God, it is absolutely true, that is correct, and it's what you should believe. Now, all this is, is built into the, the person, Jesus Christ, which is, it, it, he is significant because it is, the, the gospel is about that Jesus Christ, Right? And, and this is where the battle is between all the denominations and, and all the different cults that call themselves Christians. They, they all believe some aspect of truth about Jesus, but they struggle to put together his deity and his humanity into one person. Typically, they choose one. He was a man or he was God, but he's not both. He was a prophet. He, he, he is something. He's something great. He's something wonderful, but he's not all the complete package that the Bible gives us. You have the wrong Jesus. That Jesus can't help you. That Jesus can't save you. You need this Jesus. All right, and so the gospel concerns God's son, and the apostle Paul thought it was essential to provide a brief, brief details in his introduction. Uh, now, we've looked at the fact that this gospel concerns the Son of God, and we know the implications of the names and titles, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then we went through the Word of God and demonstrated clearly that this same Jesus is unquestionably of the seed of David. All right, we've, we've seen all that, right? Just from these few verses in the past few weeks, we've looked, we've looked at all that in pretty good detail from the Word of God. It was not much said from me. It was, it, we read a lot of verses that demonstrate this is all true. Now, it's important to note, again, that this being made of the seed of David is according to the flesh. This directly notes his humanity and is distinctly separate from his deity. Verse 3 and 4 provide multiple points of contrast regarding the person of Jesus Christ that appear contradictory, but are in reality the dual nature of the Lord in the days of his flesh. He was in eternity, the Word. He was made manifest in a body of flesh and became man. He didn't, he didn't cut off his deity to become a man. They, both are put into one body now, one person. Both are true of him. Um, that, you know, that, that, that seems to be the mindset in some is that, well, th there had to be a stopping point for his deity in order for there to be a starting point for his humanity. Well, that's not true. There was a starting point to his humanity. There was no starting point to his deity. There, there, there's, there's no stopping point to his deity. He is God. It did not cease to exist. Now, these verses um, set made of the seed of David over against declared to be the son of God. And as a man, he is made after the seed of David. But as God, he is declared to be the son of God. That's important. That's a, that's a great detail. It's just a wonderful detail of the word of God. When it comes to his humanity, he was made. It's absolutely true. Uh, some, some people, some uh, groups believe Jesus is a created being. No, he is the creator. The creator was not created. He creates. Right? So he, he is the creator. But at some point, a body, a physical body of flesh was made so that he could come into the world and, and join himself to that body. And that's exactly what he did. 
so that, that distinction between made and declared is essential. It's important. Uh, he had to be made man, but there was simply a declaration of his deity. He was not made God. He was already God. Now, second, these verses set according to the flesh against the spirit of holiness. In normal circumstances, these two would be enemies one of another. Your flesh hates holiness, and holiness hates your flesh. So in, 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 in our lives, the, this is a battle. Are we going to give in to the flesh? We're going to give in to holiness. We're going to give in into the flesh. We're going to give in to righteousness. Which one is it going to be? And, and we're constantly having this battle on a daily basis and, and trying our best to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, who hated iniquity and loved righteousness, and, and because of that was exalted by the Father. But while those are true of him, absolutely, we're trying to make it true of us. <laughs> now, you have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. So spiritually speaking, you are righteous if you trusted in Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, he sees righteousness. Praise the Lord. That's a blessing. You didn't earn it. It's not because of what you did or how you did it or when you did it. Jesus Christ shed his blood. God said, if you will trust in my son, I'll wash you in his blood and make you righteous. But then there's the way you live on a daily basis. <laughs> And that's a whole different story. That's where that battle comes back and forth. That's where your bipolar nature comes in. Uh, one day I do okay, the next day I'm not doing so hot. And, and one minute I'm doing okay, the next minute I'm not doing so great. And so it's this back and forth as you are, Lord willing, progressing more and more to be like Jesus Christ. The problem is that battle taking place and you're in a constant state of regression back towards sin. That's not good, all right? When, 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 my, when I look at your life as a pastor, I should see in you someone who is continually growing and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. If I look at you and I say, I don't, I don't know what's going on there, all right? There, there's something's wrong, all right? The same is true of my own life. If you look at me and you say, man, it just seems like he's growing, he's doing well, doing great, or you look at me and you say, why is this guy our pastor? <laughs> he's a devil. What's going on? He just seems like he does everything wrong. How, how can he teach me? And we got a problem. And we don't want that kind of problem. What, what, you, what we should see in everyone in the body of Christ is a continual progression towards righteousness, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And as long as that progression is, is, is also moving together in that direction, we're doing okay. Right? We, we can do better. We can always do better, but we're doing okay. If we're not doing that as an individual or as a group, we have a serious problem and it needs to be fixed. And so we want to keep moving in the right direction. For us, our flesh plays a major role in keeping us from holiness. But this was not true of the Lord. He died for our sins. He had no sin of his own. Yet the, verse, the verses note that he took on a body of flesh and was still able to be declared the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness. He, he took on a body of flesh, and he did not sin. He did not give in to temptation. This morning in Matthew 4, we, stu we studied Matthew 4, the, the temptation of Jesus Christ, and he was able to remain sinless. That's extremely important. He had no sin of his own. He died because of our sin. He was able to die because he took our sin into his body. 
Right? And so all that is, is essential and important to the doctrine of who Jesus Christ is. These details, they're important because our faith as Christians only has validity in Christ himself. Without Jesus, we have nothing. And if our Jesus is the wrong Jesus, we have nothing. You need the Jesus Christ who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who is God, who is the Son of God, who was born of a virgin. That's the Jesus that we believe in. If you have some other Jesus, then the Word of God can't help you. You're, 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 Jesus said, many false Christs shall come. And, and then he said, and are already in the world. But he's standing there in front of everybody. <laughs> there are already false Christs here. It's already happening. Right? And so you have to make sure you believe in the right Jesus. How do you make sure you believe in the right Jesus? You've got to study this book. You've got to be familiar with this book. This is, the, this is the litmus test. How do I know I'm believing the right Jesus? Well, it says right here, it was born of a virgin. You believe in Jesus was born of a virgin? No, you've got the wrong Jesus. That's not the Jesus that the Bible is teaching me about, and that's not the one that I believe in. Now, you don't want to just dogmatically believe something as, as, a, as a, you know, like I've talked to here before about the, the, the phrase, once saved, always saved. Well, it's true, but you don't want to just believe in a statement. You want to be able to open the Word of God and demonstrate that statement is true. And one of the major problems we have in Baptist churches across America, in fundamental good churches, is that everybody clings to the statement, and it might be true, it might not be true, but couldn't show you, if, if, if you had a gun to their head, show me that statement is true in the Word of God. I don't know. I don't know how to show you. I don't know where it is. I don't know how. I don't know what it says. Well, that's a problem. That's shallow, empty Christianity, and the reason people are fleeing away from it is because they want someone who's real, who's authentic, and will sit down and open the Bible and show them. Then it means something. That connection to the book is the connection to God. Otherwise, I could just make up a bunch of catchphrases and slogans about what we believe and throw those out, and all it does is is join you to me. And that's not a good idea. Uh, I can't keep my life straight half the time. You think, you think joining you to me is going to help you? No, we all need, we're all a bunch of helpless creatures who need Jesus Christ. That's what we need. That's who we need. Well, how do we get him? Right here. This Bible talks repeatedly about the knowledge of God. It comes through his word. And, and, and so that's, that's how we're going to handle those things. And I, I want you to know what you believe. Not just be able to say, once saved, always saved. That's what we believe. Okay, well, show me that. Well, what do you mean? I just said it. (laughs) No, I want you to open the Bible and show me that once you're saved, you're always saved. And if you can't, then what you've done is you've attached yourself to a catchphrase that is true. Praise the Lord. And that's the, per, the point and purpose of them is to, is to soul water things down that, that Christians can just catch on to something and, and, and hopefully be able to not defend their faith, but not be, be swayed in another direction. All right? And some of that has some place, but, but it, it, what it has created is an, is an empty and shallow American Christianity where Christians come to church but don't know the first thing about what they say they believe. And, and we're not going to have that here, Lord willing. Uh, now, made of the seed of David. Look at, look at verses 3 and 4 again. Let's, let's read them again. 
concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, there's his humanity, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That's his deity. And so he's made of the seed of David. Verses 3 and 4 provide two glaring contrasts. But they are speaking of the same person and are true of, of this one person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. But each aspect of this passage is essential. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. The Son of God was always with the Father. But the seed of David had a starting place, an, an entry into this world. Christ, the eternal God, began to be something he had not previously experienced. Now, if we ever get to the book of Hebrews, which might be 20 years from now, it talks about that a lot, about how, about how God, or at least it, maybe not a lot, but it brings it up, the fact that, that God had no understanding of what it meant to be a man in a body of flesh. Now, that's hard to think about. But what, what would God know about being a man if he had never been one? He created man. Now, we're talking about God. He knows a lot about it, obviously. But, but that experience of coming into the world, and, it, and it, it, Hebrews even talks about Jesus doing that and saying that through that, he was made perfect through that experience. So he, he became the, the, the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He became the perfect high priest on our behalf because he took on a body of flesh, went through the daily life that we go through, except much harder. I, I love, I really enjoy woodworking, but I have also come to enjoy power tools. <laughs> he didn't have any of that. Uh, I, I call someone and say, hey, I need some lumber. I, I don't know exactly how he did it, but back then you go cut the tree down and you drag it out of the forest. It's, it's not the same thing. Right? And so he, he lived life. He was tempted in all points, just as we are, and remained sinless, making him the perfect person for us to go to in our time of need. Before that, he, he was a... He was a merciful and gracious God who had no, no real understanding of what your daily life is like. Well, now he does. He came in a body of flesh and lived it. Uh, that, that's, that is an incredible amount of integrity. People come up to us all the time and they say, that Bible is not true. Okay, well, what I want to know is when you were reading it, what did you find not to be true? Well, I've never read it. <laughs> Yes, you lack integrity. You have no idea what you're talking about. And, and so God is going to condemn you for what you've done in your flesh. But before doing that, he said, you know what? I'm going to take on a body of flesh. I'm going to show them. I'm going to be the example. I'm going to go through it. And then I'm going to let them nail me to a cross in order to pay for their own sin. That, 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 def, that is... That is the highest level of integrity a person could ever consider operating at. And God did it and did it on our behalf. Praise the Lord. And so he came into a body of flesh. He's, he's, he was the internal God, but he became something he had never, never been before. He preexisted David, but when he was made manifest in the flesh, he came through the seed of David. This notes a definite point in which the eternal God began to exist 
in a body of flesh, made of the seed of David. And that's, that's, that is wild to think about. And that, that is crazy to think about. But God did that. And he did that for our benefit. He did that. There was, he got nothing out of it. He lost everything. The only thing he gains is our souls in eternity. And that's not really gaining much. <laughs> Now, it's all done for his honor and his glory. Eventually, eventually, the, the book of Ephesians talks about how that the church will, to some extent, be set on display in glory as a, as a means of honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus accomplished. Look at my bride. Look what I did through, the, through, through sacrificing myself. All right, so, so it'll all be done for the honor and glory of God. It's just hard to imagine that getting my soul was some sort of benefit <laughs> to Jesus Christ. But then the, uh, the opposite view of that is that, that g- gaining something as lowly as my soul in exchange for shedding his own blood just demonstrates how wonderful he is and how great he is. What am I? What is man that thou would be mindful of us? Nothing. But he wasn't just mindful. He came into this world, shed his own blood for us as a demonstration of his, his love, which is pretty incredible. That, that's not an exchange anybody else would make. Only he would do that. So praise the Lord. Now, before his incarnation, he was in the form of God. But after his incarnation, he took on a second and equal form, the form of a man. His incarnation in the flesh is the beginning of his life in the days of his flesh, but he existed before his incarnation in eternity. Both are true. He is God and man. Now, let's read verses 3 and 4 again, just to stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. It's good to read, fun to read. It's true. We should memorize it. You should be very familiar with these verses by the time we get to the bottom of verse 7, <laughs> much less the end of the chapter. <laughs> verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, the idea according to the flesh is in direct contrast to the idea according to the spirit of holiness. Yet both contrasting ideas are essential to understand of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was made in human form, according to the flesh, after the seed of David, but we were definitively informed he is also God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That, that comma and that connecting that by the resurrection from the dead is essential. How do you know he was God? How do you know he was holy? He rose from the dead. Now, what most people will say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you try it. You give up the ghost right now and then bring yourself back from the dead. Well, I can't do that. I know you can't do that. He did. The Bible, it, it doesn't say that they killed Jesus. Now, I mean, it, essentially, it does later in the book of Acts. It said, you slew him. But, but the point I'm talking about, he's on the cross, and it says, he gave up the ghost. <laughs> He said, okay, everything's fulfilled, everything's done, I'm at a point to die, we're done, and gave up the ghost. It is finished, and walked away. Then then three days later, he came back. He rose from the dead. 
Now, nobody, there was no doctor there. There were no machines hooked to his body, none of that stuff. He just, they went to the grave. He's not here. Why are you looking for him here? Why, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? <laughs> well, we buried him here a few days. Yeah, but he told you in three days he'd meet you in Galilee. What are you doing? Why are you here? Well, where is he? I just told you where he is. I don't understand. Yeah, well, the Lord will give you the Holy Spirit soon and fix that issue in your brain, hopefully. Uh, so they, they, they did eventually come around. And so the, this idea of the whole, his holiness, it's important. It demonstrates, it demonstrates the fact that he is God. It's, and it's directly connected to his resurrection or his, his rising from the dead. Um, when we think of his being made of the flesh, we should do so with the understanding that he thirsted. He was in hunger. He was tired. He slept. He worked. He loved uh, he was loved. He despised. He was rejected. He was despised. He was rejected. He was a man. He did not simply live in a body as God. He was God and he was man. Now that's a that is such a difficult concept to to fully explain because we think he was able to endure some of the things he endured because he's he's just God in a body of flesh. But that's not it. it that, that's not correct. He was God and he was man. You, you could say the opposite. You could say he was, he was man in a body of flesh who was God. Well, that doesn't, people would say it that way. They're like, well, that doesn't make sense. But it makes sense to you to say he was God in a body of flesh. But, but what you're attaching yourself to is he was God. And you're kind of leaving off, you're just kind of noting there was a little bit of flesh mixed in there. But that's not it. He was fully God, and he was fully man. When he was tired, he was tired and needed to go to sleep because he was a man. When he was hungry, he needed food. He was a man. But yet he was also God. All right? And so it's, it's, you've got to set the two side by side as as being co-equal, you can't elevate one above the other. Jesus Christ, when he took on a body of flesh, he became both. He was a man and he was God. It's just difficult to, to not give one of those more importance than the other. They're, 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 both, they're both very true. He took on complete human nature along with all its struggles. Now, the merger of these realities is essential to the Christian life. They were prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled by Christ in the New. We'll just look at one. Look at Isaiah 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I mean, there, there are numerous of them. The Messianic prophecies, as they're often called. Um, but this one is, is interesting in relationship to what we just read. Isaiah 9, and we'll read verses 6 through 7. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Wait a minute. You just said a child was going to be born. All right, that means somebody's going to show up in a body of flesh the same way I did, the same way you did. Now, there is one notable difference. He came from a virgin. I mean, that's pretty spectacular. Uh, but that person in that body of flesh 
is going to be called the mighty God. How? Why? Well, he is Emmanuel, God with us. The everlasting father, the prince of peace. Now look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. All right, now when God says that, it means it's good. I don't care. I don't care if the stars align or not. I am going to make it happen. <laughs> the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Well, how are you going to do that? It will be done. Don't worry about how. Don't worry about necessarily understanding it. You can trust God. God said, I'm going to make this happen. And then it happened in Jesus Christ. Uh, like a thousand years later, five, six, eight hundred years later, however long it was from Isaiah to to the coming of Jesus Christ, it happened, just as God said. And so you can trust the Lord, and he is absolutely trustworthy. Now, by the time Christ came into the world, the house of David had little meaning. I mean, you read the genealogy of, in Matthew and in Luke, and they're telling us these people in this, in these, in this genealogy, Joseph came from the seed of David. That means that Joseph is in the line of the king of Israel. And he's just a poor carpenter living in obscurity. That means nothing. That's when Jesus came. He didn't come at the height of David's reign and, and became the son of David and took over after Solomon or, or after Nathan or, or you know, one, one of David's sons. He came at a time when Rome is dominating Israel and the house of David, nobody even cared. <laughs> you came from David? That's interesting. That's how you find people today. They say, well, my, you know, I can trace my ancestry all the way back to George Washington. Yeah, everybody can, it seems. <laughs> it's like I meet people every day. I, I, you know, my blood goes back to George Washington. Right. What does that mean? Are you in line to be the president? I mean, what? Yeah. It, it means nothing. Now, and, and, and this time, it meant nothing that it went back to David, it seems. It was just kind of an obscure note that, that you came from the bloodline of David. Uh, we learned that both Joseph and Mary are direct descendants of David, and yet they live in deep poverty. Their lineage from David meant nothing in an era of the incarnation. And yet, in that lowest state, Christ came into the world, made of the seed of David, to carry out the promises that God made to David and Israel. David means little to nothing at this point, but God made him promises. And at a time when David meant nothing to Israel, God's going to carry out those promises just like he said he would. Now, that's incredible. That's phenomenal. Now, what does that mean about the promises God made for me and God made to you? Who am I? Nobody. Absolutely nobody. Who are you? Well, we established this morning in Sunday school that we have a room full of angels. And so other than the angels in here, uh, Brother James, Brother Nathan, and myself, we're just of lowly estate. <laughs> and so, but God made us promises, and he's going to keep those promises, just as he said. 
One of which being when you're absent from, the, if, you're in, if, you're, if you're saved, you trusted in Jesus Christ, you're going to be absent from the body and present with Jesus Christ when you die. If, you don't, if you're not taken by death, the Lord himself is going to return and take us to be with him. It's going to happen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Just like he did from the seed of David and fulfilled the promises from the seed of David, which is pretty incredible. Now, as a doctrinal position, we believe the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, but that is not the only important detail about who he is and where he came from. He is the Son of God. He is God. He is also of the seed of David, and he became a man. If there is any doubt that these scriptural real, uh, about these scriptural realities, then there is a chance you believe in the wrong Jesus. These are not truths we can compromise on, we should cling to them, preach them, and teach them far and wide. It is vital that our gospel concerns the Son of God, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God after the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That gospel is the very foundation of the Christian life. Amen. Everything we just covered is absolutely essential to the Christian life. Now, as, as a side note, this is important. Um, we don't require someone to be able to explain to us the, the humanity, the deity, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ in order to have their sins forgiven and their soul saved. <laughs> All right, we preach the gospel to them. We do our best to tell them who Jesus is and what they should believe about him. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, that focus should be on the death the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a payment, as a substitutionary payment for their sin. That's what they need to know to be saved. Now, if you say, well, I need to sit down and explain to you the virgin birth, and I need to explain to you that Christ came of the seed of David, and that, uh, you know, he, he, he's man and he is God. And then after I explain all that, I'll tell you how he died for you. And then if you believe, if you believe all of that, you can have your soul saved and your sins forgiven. That's, that's, Every time, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right. When it comes to salvation, the Bible makes it pretty simple. All right, now all the other stuff we can teach them after they have the Holy Spirit inside of them, after they're interested in the Savior who, who bled and died for them. Look, if, if, I, if I explain to you how that Christ shed his own blood for you and died for you, and you claim to understand that, you claim to get saved, but you won't even show up to church. <laughs> Something is off there. You understand that he suffered for you, right? And like all he expects you to do is come to church every now and then. And you won't do that. Something's not right. All right. So, so there, 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 are, there are ways we can examine people. And, and we, we can never come to the conclusion they are saved or lost. But we can come to the conclusion that we should be concerned. All right. But when it comes to saving them, when it comes to their salvation, how that Christ died for your sins, you are a sinner. You are a sinner on your way to hell. And he, he died for those sins. And I always put it to them at, at this proposition. I always tell them that, that there is a problem that needs to be solved, a very serious problem. And I have the solution. Here's the problem. You're a sinner. You're on your way to hell. God says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you. God says, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. You're a liar. 
And because you're a liar, you're a sinner. Because you're a sinner, you are condemned. You are going to hell. That's the problem. But here's the solution. God sent his son into the world, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and paid for those sins. The ones that, that, that I just demonstrated to you from the word of God, you're guilty of them. He paid for them and was buried and rose again the third day. And now God says, if you will abandon that and trust in him, your sins will be forgiven, your soul will be saved, and you'll spend eternity with Jesus Christ. All right, now, that's the gospel. That's what people need to know to have their sins forgiven. Now, as Christians who want to grow in their faith, we need to dive into this stuff and make sure we understand he is God, he is man. But not just a catchphrase. You need to know how and why he came from the seed of David. That's who he is according to the flesh. He was declared to be the son of God. Well, how? Well, by the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. That's how. All right? So those are all true of Jesus Christ. People struggle with those ideas because they are, at first glance, they appear contradictory but in reality, they are contrasting statements, both of which are true of one person. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.